All right, our friends, uh, we are back with another... Another fusional episode. Fusional episode. Yes, sir. Of V8 Radio. I'm Kevin Oste, joined as always by our, our esteemed, uh, with a strong vocabulary, <laughs> Mike Hubal Clark. <laughs> right. A, on. a fusioned episode. A fusional Radio? episode. Fusional. And I and I say that, Kevin, because uh, I recently acquired a new life skill. And, ah. and, and in no small part, thanks to you. And that life skill, my friend, is I have, you are now looking at, and friends, you are now listening to, <laughs> a man who knows how to weld. Yay, right on. I can take, yes, I can take two pieces of metal and I can fuse them together to become one. Well, interestingly, as we talk, I become confused as well. <laughs> you confuse you? metal, and you confuse, confuse. me. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's outstanding, man. I, uh, right on. I dig that. That was good. Mm-hmm. Fusional. Thank you. Fusional. Yeah. Well, that's obviously not, not delusional. No. Fusional. Right, right, right. Well, it's mm-hmm. obviously going to be a big topic here today, then. Um, Absolutely. But before we get into that, you know, now that everybody's mm-hmm. all excited. Uh, <laughs> typically on this show, we start off with an automotive trivia question of sorts, uh, which is different from an audio, uh, automotive trivia question of shorts. Yes. Uh, did you uh, have time to prepare a trivia question? Certainly. Certainly I did, sir. And have you had time to prepare one? I have. Uh, I'm actually right going to consult my notes. So, so why don't you uh, go first? I'm listening. Dig it. Will do. All right, Kev. Now... You have coming up the uh, V8 uh, TV drive-in coming up this August. Oh, yes, the drive-in cruise. The drive-in cruise. When and where was the very first drive-in theater opened? Holy smokes. Ah, man. Now that is a question. Who is running a drive-in cruising should know these things. Well, here's the the ironic part is I did know this. Uh (laughs) Uh, Because a couple years ago when we started our drive-in cruise event, I did some research and I was learning all about drive-ins and how many there are left and when did they start and blah, 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 blah. Uh, unfortunately, my mind is like a sieve, <laughs> and sometimes I get confusional, and, right. uh, and I, I lose things. So, I know, for example, the Skyview Drive-In in Belleville, Illinois, where we host our event, uh, mm-hmm. launched in 1949, and I know that that was definitely not the first. Um, so... If I remember correctly, which I'm not mm-hmm. saying by any stretch that I do, it was in the, in the 19, I'm going to say in the 1920s, 27, mm-hmm. my guess, 1927. 1927, the man says. Yeah. I'm going to say right. that's first drive-in movie theater open in 27. All right. Okay. The other part of that question was where? Yeah. <laughs> right. See, I, yeah. I already forgot that there was a second part of the question. <laughs> uh, it was. Uh, it was in. Uh, I, so now, if I remember correctly, <laughs> which, well, which I, I clearly don't. We know it wasn't Belleville, Illinois. No, it was not. I do. Hmm. 
seem to recall being somewhat surprised by the original location, thinking that's mm-hmm. not where I would have thought, but I forgot right. where I put that. So I'm going to, just, just for fun, I'm going to say it was in Kansas City. Kansas City. All right, 1927. Right. Kansas City. Kansas City, Kansas, or Kansas City, Missouri, my friend? Uh, well, mm-hmm. yeah, probably, let's say Kansas. Kansas City, Kansas. KC, Kansas. There you go. All right. Brutal. Well, you know, these things have to be done. They do. I, I'm already <laughs> fueled with disappointment. Because <laughs> I, I didn't know this. I, I checked it out. But apparently there were more pressing things that needed to occupy my feeble noodle right. on that day. And it, it was released back into the wild. Okay. Back into the universe. <clears throat> yeah. All right, well, on that note, uh, I have a question for you, my friend. Lay it on me. Uh, You're familiar with the Chrysler 426 cubic inch Hemi engine? Indeed. Did you ever think about why the 426 was 426 cubic inches? And that is the question. Why? (laughs) Well... Not until this second <laughs> I have I thought of that, Kevin. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Um, the answer was revealed in a drive-in in Kansas once. Was it? <laughs> <laughs> During a newsreel. Yeah, in the 20s. Um, uh, the .426 Hemi was the .426 um, mm. due to... Um, <clears throat> Uh, NASCAR rules that limited displacement to 427 cubic inches Is at that... the time that the Hemi came out. Huh. So it's got nothing yes. to do with the fact that there might have been... I mean, there's several things to consider when you mm-hmm. lay out an answer like that. For example, right. you know, there was a, a 426 wedge motor mm-hmm. prior to that. And there was sure. also the 440. So why, was the 440. Why, why didn't the Hemi grow to 440? You'd think they're trying to make power. These are things that I would consider. Uh-huh. I understand. I, if, I, if I asked myself. I see where you're coming from on this. However, the uh, I think it had more to do with racing. Mm-hmm. And the racing rules said if you run nascar says if you run a a stock car you have to offer so many to the general public and the the hemi was first the race hemi but then was so somewhat detuned to become the street hemi correct and i believe that they carried over the 426 cubic inch size for that reason well that is a very plausible answer thank you I like to applause around a little bit. <laughs> it's applause that refreshes. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, Let's right. give us a round of applause, people. Oh, man. Uh, hey Okay, well, I will, I will note that. It was because of NASCAR regulations. Yes. All right, right on. Did you know the biggest thing that detuned the race Hemi to the street Hemi? You know what they did to do that? Um, it's right up your alley. The heads? Well, they reduced compression. That was a big one. Right. The race Hemi was like 13 to 1, and the street, right. the street Hemi had to exist under the hood of a, a Cuda that was being sold on the street. So it right. got dropped down far. 
And then, of right. course, they did uh, hydraulic valve lifters. Ah! Hydraulic valve lifters, yes. Mm-hmm. That's right. The Race Hemi was a solid lifter engine. It was. And, for, you know, for a guy who's got valve train on the brain right now, I thought... Yes, I do. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. So, uh... Boy, howdy. Recapping our recent experience, you came down to our shop last weekend to visit, and, uh... Yes. Uh... We ended up with an extra set of cylinder heads, those Pontiac 6X mm-hmm. heads from a late 70s car that we thought might work mm-hmm. on your GTO engine to reduce the compression. How's that story going? Correct. That story is, it's it's moving along. Um, I was actually at my buddy Randy's house. Randy! Randy! And, and, uh, <laughs> That's next week's trivia question. <laughs> For the loyal oh, listeners. Perfect. But, uh, <coughs> excuse me, I was at uh, Randy's, and we tore the heads down, and, and we looked at them a little bit. And uh, they're going to need uh, some attention. Uh, they're going to need valve guides, and they're going to need some valves. Uh, some of the, the, the valve sim tips are kind of chunked a little bit mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. due to what. I have no idea. But I also noticed that um, on the rocker arm fulcrum, had uh, some of them had a little bit of a shim on top where the nut tightens down on on top of it to probably offer a little bit of adjustment to probably take up a little bit of slack hmm. due to possibly cam wearing down or maybe the valve wearing down or or what have you so well <clears throat> i believe that was a 1977 or 78 engine 77 I, yeah i think it's a 77 yeah so who knows what repair was done to it along the way to Exactly, yeah. To bring it back. And, and of course, that particular engine, the bottom end was grenaded. There was <laughs> right. giant holes in the block and the pan and, and rods came apart and everything. So it doesn't surprise mm-hmm. me that, um, I mean, I, I'm still a little curious about those little chips out of the valve yeah. tips. Yeah, um, I've never seen that before. Uh, yeah. Maybe, you know, that, that would suggest that they were too hard. Maybe it got hot at some point. I, I don't know. Maybe, uh, yeah. I mean, it was that oil that was in there was was pretty stinky. It smelled pretty burned. Yes. Well, so the the, the w- failure at the end was pretty catastrophic. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I found was interesting was when we pulled the one side off, one of the sil- one of the pistons was rotated ninety degrees. <laughs> right. In, in the bore. <laughs> so that was that was you could tell which one was the bad one. <clears throat> Had a little rod twist going on there. <laughs> yes, just a little tweak, a small a slight adjustment. So, I mean, I, I honestly probably would have expected a, at least a valve job, or lapping anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, are you going to do that trick with the uh, big block Chevy-style studs to give yourself some adjustability? Totally. On Absolutely. Absolutely, I am. Yeah, that's to me, that's a no-brainer. I mean, because those Pontiac ones, you know, uh, they're the bottleneck studs. They're, what, 3 eighths and... They you tighten the nut down at, at at twenty foot pounds and there's no adjustment on there. So if any slack develops in there, you're going to have valve train noise that mm-hmm. can't be adjusted out. Mm-hmm. So that that should have been like that from the factory, in my opinion. But uh, I agree, it's a a lack of adjustability. You know, I I don't know if it makes for more dealer money to to be tuning those things up or whatnot. Maybe but who who knows? Yeah. All right. Well, at who least knows? you got yeah. some cylinder heads now, though, and. Yeah, they should. thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, you're it. welcome. Yeah. And, and that should bring the compression ratio down enough to where your new uh, bottom end should be, mm-hmm. what, 9? 9.1, 9.2. 9.2. It's going to be, like, yeah. right on. You'll be able to run any yeah. gas you want. 
Exactly, exactly. So that'll be nice. So that'll help me with cam choice and maybe give me some some um, leeway as to what cam I use. I have an idea of what I want, but um, I'm, I'm not. I'm I'm all but finalized on that decision. So it's just a matter of getting everything and okay. all that good stuff. Kind of like how I was on the trivia question a few minutes ago. Kind of, yes. <laughs> All but finalized. So the the rest of your visit, you and our buddy Paul came down. Uh, yes. And, and got, to, got to spend a little time in the shop. Yes, we did. It was terrific. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was a great time. I could... I could spend all day there, and we we almost did. Yeah, we did. We much. spent probably six, yeah. six, seven, six hours there. Yeah, yeah. We we put a, almost a whole shift in there. Yeah, I'm waiting for my paycheck. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, the cool thing was is I remember you know we talked in the past and on this show and about the the fact that you never really had the opportunity to learn how to weld and. Exactly. In our V8 Speed and Rester shop, we certainly have a lot of welders. We do a lot of welding. You know, we're welding mm-hmm. every day. And right. uh, I thought it'd be fun if you guys uh, came down to pick up those heads. Let's take a few minutes mm-hmm. and learn to, to MIG weld, which mm-hmm. turned into six hours. But <laughs> Yeah, right. I, I mean, I honestly think that that style of demonstration, the actual learn to weld part is pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we took some time to do a little metal finishing as well. Right. Yeah, and we you taught us how to how to set up the welder and how to you know not blow through your metal based on the thickness and the or the gauge of what you're welding on and all that stuff. And you're you're a really good and patient teacher for a couple of a uh, couple of uh, knuckleheads. Well, uh, that I appreciate that. Teach. I, I was thoroughly impressed with your work. Thank you. Yeah, you you are, you are the Mister Cotter to to Paul's Vinnie Barbarino into my Horseshack. <laughs> reminds me, of, you know, Juan Epstein, one of his famous quotes, you know, when the the Sweat Hogs were going to play poker in uh-huh. in class, of course, you know, and well, of course, and uh, well, actually, it was Freddie Boom Boom Washington who had the uh, the quote, and he said, "Because Mister Cotter won't let us play with actual money, two blues and two whites is worth two blues and two whites." <laughs> <laughs> oh that's perfect so uh well the whole deal about mig welding is that it, it's one of those skills where if it's if it's properly taught it can be rewarding and you can be successful pretty quickly sure you, you need to know a few basics and Mm-hmm. The far vast majority of people that MIG weld in this world are self-taught. And Is that right? I believe it, you know, because huh. you can go down to your local home improvement store or jump online, and for right. a couple hundred bucks, you can get a, a wire feed metal inert gas welder, like a MIG welder, mm-hmm. but one mm-hmm. that uses a flux core wire instead right. of a tank, and those are the cheap ones. Uh-huh. Sure. And I think a lot of people kind of, I'm going to say they fall for that <laughs> because uh, a, a wire feed with a flux core wire is a very challenging weld. You don't have the control that you do with a gas MIG welder. Sure. Um, so I think we see a lot of people that get a, a cheap welder and then they try a few things and either they get frustrated right away because they don't, they don't have somebody to help them out or they mm-hmm. can't overcome the challenges of that particular tool. Because, you know, a lot of people don't want to spend a little more money to get a decent, reliable, mm-hmm. controllable welder. 
sure. right away if they don't know they're going to do it or they're only going to do it for one yeah. job or something. That's a good point. You know, so mm-hmm. uh, I've also seen time and time and time again, and, and I credit that trick, um, and I'll kind of describe it. The, the method that we use to set up the, the MIG welder came straight from uh, Jeff Noland. Jeff Noland is the guy that runs HTP welders, HTP USA. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And oh, that's, right that's where we get all of our welders from. Um, you know, the, the wire feed MIG and the TIG welders all come from HTP, and we've got a couple of resistance spot welders as well. And mm-hmm. the deal there is that Jeff is not only a business owner, but he's also got an engineering background. He's got a... a a metal background so he knows how to do this stuff right and sure. uh, kelly and i went to the htp facility it's just outside of chicago and really yeah it's in arlington heights and he does classes what? there yeah yeah you could go there you and paul could do phase two over there if you wanted to right on yeah and the the thing that he showed us you know first we learned about you know what is mig welding you know and and it's a it's a an electric arc weld that is shielded by a gas. And the mm. reason why you pump the gas around the arc is because the atmosphere of oxygen that is, you know, in our normal atmosphere makes that arc burn hotter and it, you, you lose control. So by pumping mm-hmm. in a, a, a gas that is inert, that doesn't mm-hmm. burn, you can kind of slow down that arc and control it better and, gotcha. and deliver only the amount of heat you need in that arc to fuse your metal together, melt the puddle. And okay. then the wire is fed in as kind of like, uh, you know, the opposite of a wick. It's basically feeding the, the fire right. and making the electrical connection. And right. it's a, it's a dance of timing because as you, it is. as you pull the trigger, <laughs> the gun starts or the, the machine starts feeding out the wire. And when that wire makes contact with the work, which is grounded by the ground cable, it arcs, boom, and it's done. Mm-hmm. And the trick is to feed enough wire in so that that arc becomes continuous and not too fast to where it, it can't consume it fast enough and it burns and right and everything else. Pops and right. all that. So, you know, they always tell you, go for that sizzling bacon sound, and, and there's a few things to do. You know, you have to set the voltage rating on the welder so that mm-hmm. the, the heat of that arc is the correct level of heat so that you have the right amount of penetration into the steel. And then you got to set the wire speed so that it matches. And the, the one trick that uh, Jeff taught us is that rather than, you know, some people like to look at a, a book or a chart and they'll say, mm-hmm. okay, I've got, uh, you know, 18,000 thick mild steel. And then I look over in this column and that means for uh, 23,000 wire and this gas and this welder, I need to crank this knob to this position, and then it all lines up, and then I'm welding. And that definitely has merit, but what we've learned is mm-hmm. that every piece of steel is different. You know, mm-hmm. it, it might have a, a coating of oil on it. It might be laying mm-hmm. on a table that's acting like a heat sink, which is uh-huh. kind of how we did it for you and Paul. Right, right. It, or it could be in free air, like on a vertical part of a quarter panel or whatever. So th- there's variables, ambient mm-hmm. temperature, um, I'm sure there's other environmental things that play into it. So rather than just go by that prescribed number, uh, what Jeff taught us to do is pull the trigger and let the welder weld on a equivalent piece of material and then adjust your wire speed while the welder is feeding wire and dial in 
that sound. Right. Yeah, and that's by God, that's exactly what we did. And it seems it seems to work. Yeah. So I think it worked great. It, it did work well, and then of course you yeah. got to go back and look and see if your weld bead is piled up on top of the steel, or if it's melted into the steel, or if it's all the way through it. <laughs> You're right. And you have a big hole. Um, yeah. You wanna, yeah. That's the, the heat setting then, or the, the voltage will allow you to, if you tune the voltage, you can get that middle ground of your penetration. So mm. uh, why don't you tell us what it was you did? What we welded? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh, and, and, two... and, 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 you know, you, you've, you've graciously said you you had a good experience with it, but I mean... I normally don't get feedback from this outside of, hey, thanks, and they go weld. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? so did, did all that make sense when we were going through it? Or, you know, what, what do you think? Oh, it, it totally made sense. I mean, I understand that the, the higher voltage, it's going to be a hotter spark. Um, it's going to penetrate more. Uh, the wire feed it is, is going to have a big effect on the quality of the weld that you have. Um, and it's, you know... I, what you said before, the having a chart and seeing all the variables and how to dial it in does have merit, um, but there's nothing like being there, dialing it in by hearing what it sounds like, listening for that sizzling bacon sound, and having you teach us that really went a long way. And that way, you you actually you can you can tell someone till till you're blue in the face, but until you actually do it, it's it's totally different. Yeah. Well, and I think people get frustrated because if they they do it kind of the traditional way, <clears throat> they'll pull the trigger, make a little bead, say, well, that was too cold or too hot or didn't sound right. Let go of the mm-hmm. trigger, go back to the welder, turn a dial, and then go back and forth. And there's no mm-hmm. cause-effect immediate relationship. Right. Yeah. Because I, I, I noticed when, uh, when I was looking away and just listening – and turning that uh, that wire speed, uh, you could definitely hear the difference. Mm-hmm. You could hear it popping when it was too slow, and you could hear it. You could hear the difference when it was too fast, and then you could see what what you had when you got it dialed in just right. When you when when that sound was just perfect, and then you did a practice run, and it was really nice and smooth. Yeah, it, it works well. Mm-hmm. So we try to tell people that it's it's very similar to setting the timing on a car. You know, mm-hmm. because you have a sticker on the core support that says this engine needs to be set at, you know, six degrees before top dead center. And right. many people would go ahead and set that, which might have been fine mm-hmm. the day it was new on a different fuel right. with different plugs and all the rest. But until you move that distributor around and mm-hmm. find the sweet spot, you know, with, right. a, with a vacuum gauge or whatever, um, that's the exact same thing that we were doing with the welder. Totally. Totally. Absolutely. So we took... Uh, uh, a couple pieces of, I believe, 18 gauge, and uh, mm-hmm. cut them in half. And I said, "Here you go, put it back together." Right. <laughs> and by golly, we did. Well, yeah. And and what was cool is that you didn't just stick it back together. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the, again, using the the technique that we've all seen in the in the magazines on the shows, doing the tack weld right. technique instead of burning a whole bead across. Now, tell me, right. how frustrating is that? Because really, all you want to do is pull the trigger and go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You do. I mean, you got to do a little and then go to the other side, a little and then you got to keep filling that in. And you're like, did I fill? Is that all the way? And you look underneath, oh, my God, I got more to do. And you got to keep doing it. You, it's hard to appreciate 
how much time mm. you, you is required to like say you put a nice whole quarter panel in. Holy cow, mm -hmm. that's a lot of real estate to cover. <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's a lot of time. <clears throat> well, I mean, and that's a great point. And the reason why uh, we do that one tack and then go to the other side of the panel and do another tack is purely to keep excess heat out of the mm -hmm. work. Um, your job was on a, probably a three-eighths thick steel table, and right. the shop temperature was probably 55 degrees in there. Mm -hmm. So that table was cool, and it was acting like a heat sink to keep your, mm -hmm. your test work from, from warping. When you're doing this, like you're saying, on a, on a body panel that might be 18 or 20 or 22 gauge, and it's in free air, it doesn't have a big giant metal heat sink backed up against it. Right. And you start welding, you can blow through it real fast, uh, but also you can warp it. And by warping right. it, you've just introduced all kinds of time into fixing yeah. it. And yeah. this is where these projects go off the rails because, you know, if you take a bunch of time and cut the panels and make them fit properly, and that's another thing is a lot, there are some people who believe in putting a, a pretty decent sized gap between panels that are being MIG welded. Mm -hmm. And my own experience is you want to tighten that gap up uh, okay. because what I've learned is that a, a, you can make something out of nothing with a MIG welder. You can, as long as you can strike an arc on something, you can draw a circle and pull the trigger and build it up and build yeah. it up effectively sure. like making a steel ice cream cone. You know, you can, <laughs> you could soft serve yourself a big thing, right? but it's going to be hotter than the sun. Uh, and uh -huh. what I notice is that people that put a gap between their panels, they'll do a few tack welds to hold them in place. But then they're also relying on the wire from the MIG welder to add material to bridge that gap. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, it's got to be hot. So it's getting hotter and hotter uh, and hotter, which okay. will make the, uh, you know, you ever see that, that commercial for the dishwashing detergent where you got the grease in the sink and they drop the yeah. drop of soap in and it all runs away mm -hmm. from the drop? Right. That's what the panel does from too hot of a weld. <laughs> oh, really? It just burns back. Oh, wow. And you go, oh, man, you know, I, I wanted a tack weld, and now I have a half-inch hole. Yeah, there's more time. There's more time. So how do you fix it? Well, oh. some people say, well, if I do a few zaps on that hole, eventually I can build that up with weld. Build it back up. Right? Okay. And now I've, I've closed up my hole. But you're running yeah. the risk of turning that half-inch hole into a two-inch hole. Yeah. And Plus, all that, all that welding, you're, you're introducing a heck of a lot of heat. Mm -hmm. in that panel still so you're you're risking warping it even more right so at that point uh you're forced with well i'm going to make a patch so i'm going to make another mm. little square of steel to go in that uh -huh. hole so you've got time cutting that and fitting it and everything else and then mm. your patch area now has a frame perimeter of tack welds around it in the middle mm. of this panel that maybe is supposed to be flat or have a curve so it doesn't match yeah. and and it just goes down the line and off the rails farther and farther until you flip mm. the lights off and you walk out of the garage and you don't look at the car for six months. <laughs> 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 that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what we've learned is by running that gap tighter and being very disciplined about one tack weld and then move to the other part and another tack weld mm -hmm. and then come back and you know there are those who actually use a, a compressed blow gun on the compressor to cool the weld 
to okay. kind of speed the process up. Sure. That gets a little dicey. Um, some say that you're not really supposed to, you know, quench that weld and cool it quickly because it could come oh, it become brittle. Okay. okay. Um, but the, the, to use this example again, the, the grand scheme of this job that we're des- de- describing of putting a patch panel on using a, a MIG weld technique all the way through it, uh, we tend in our shop to not do that at all, primarily because it's high risk, it's a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And when you're done, as you, you learned in your lesson, you're done, you've got a, uh, a line of, of closely placed tack welds the whole length of your, your work area, and mm-hmm. now you have to dress those welds. Yep. So you gotta grind them. Mm-hmm. And in your case, we started with a, uh, a little 3M Rolock abrasive disc, and I think we started with about a, I don't know if it was a 50, a 36 or a 50 grit. It wasn't super, mm-hmm. super harsh. And, you know, it was half worn out anyway. It was just one that I grabbed laying around. Right. But tell me about that experience of grinding those welds down. That, it took some time. And you have to have a, you have to have a touch to do it. I mean, it, it, it can get away from you if you're not careful. So that's, that's really what I learned about that. And you got you to gotta practice and you got to stay focused on the work. And know where you're grinding, and not, and try not to, you know, grind onto the good metal, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and cause it to, you know, God forbid, you know, cut a slit in it just from from grinding it through or whatever. Right, right. But uh, yeah, it 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 requires some skill. And it's the, not just throwing it, throwing the the grinding wheel over it and getting it smooth. It takes skill. It takes time. What I noticed as as a tip that I think I pointed out to you while you're doing it is. Uh-huh. It's our nature to want to be aggressive and get it get it ground. You know, let's get this done. Yeah. So what people tend to do is angle the grinding disc. Yep. And use the edge because it's the one mm-hmm. you it's the part you can see. Right. And it, it initially it has more effect faster. Uh, I, I think it also gives the illusion of having more control mm. because you're at a smaller smaller area and then you can control where that where that wheel is hitting a lot better than. When you're laying it flat. Yeah, right. And so what I was, I told you that day is that we used to see people using that edge in the, in the very beginning of the weld. Um, they, they benefit from everything you just said. But then mm-hmm. that ring wears down on the disc. And you yeah. don't have the level of control that you think. So it, it's, it's a, a more efficient and better way to grind if you kind of mow the whole thing down by putting the disc just about flat over the work. Mm-hmm. And then you're mm-hmm. using the surface at the very center of the disc all the way out to the edge. Right. And moving it back and forth and, and keeping it moving. Because imagine if you had the patience to do a giant MIG weld and it, it was still straight, and then you go back and grind it and put too much heat in it and warp it from the grinder. Yeah. Because you can do that too. Yeah. And that's no well, fun. An- uh, yeah. An- another idea, another thought too is, you know, those, when you do, you wear out the edge of that disc, and then you, you toss it. Well, that's a lot of material that's, that goes unused on those discs. And those discs aren't free. No. And that adds up. Yes, yeah. Yeah, you've used 98 cents out of a $7 disc. It, right, right. <laughs> yeah. And you, yeah, you threw, you threw $6.602 away. Right. And, uh, and, now, and now that adds up. Say, say what would normally use maybe on a full quarter panel maybe three of those discs will you use seven or eight and you know that yeah that that costs too 
Yeah. You know, that's that's material cost. It's far more than three on a quarter panel, no matter what. Well, it, you know you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and, uh, there's a sidebar there. We use those 3M discs, and, and uh, they're not cheap, but they do last the longest of the ones that we've tried, you know, and, and you right. can go places and get the 89 cent discs, but they're done far sooner. So oh, sometimes the, the, the abrasive wears out and comes off and everything else. Uh-huh. So now you've got two operations, well, three operations that are risky. One cutting the panel to fit right, two welding it, three grinding it. And then there's mm-hmm. several, levels of grinding you did a rough cut and then we changed the grit to uh i think a 180 and did more of a finer Uh polish on it so that's why we always try to replace a quarter panel at all the factory attachment points which doesn't Uh require a mig welded bead like that Mm -hmm. it's a a plug weld which is uh having something with a hole in it and and filling Mm -hmm. that hole with weld instead of trying to do a big long seam and you'll get that panel on with you know, one hundred and fiftieth of the number of welds, mm-hmm. and it's as strong as the the factory designed it. Sure. And and I cringe, man. I, I see people that have a car that's popular where you can get a full quarter panel to the roof. You know, we got a Mustang in the shop right now, a '67. You can get every part of a '67 Mustang, and yeah. some poor guy bought an entire quarter panel and cut it right through the middle and mm. welded it on using this tack weld procedure. And it's a correct mm-hmm. procedure, but man, if you just would have went to the, to the sail panel and drilled it out like it was supposed to be, right. you could have had that thing done. Just put the whole thing on. Right, perfect, done. Right. It would be seamless. Exactly, literally yeah. seamless. And Literally seamless. Yeah, and, and not all warped from grinding and welding and blowing holes in it and everything, so... Right. I think there's a, there's an attraction to putting things together on a butt weld type um, fashion because it's it's magical when you can get them together and there's no evidence of the mm-hmm. the split, right? Right. So mm-hmm. I, sure, you know, yeah. I thought your panel and Paul's panel looked really really good because when you were done, you had no idea that that was ever two pieces. Nope, sure didn't. You know. Until Flip it, it over, you sure did. But well, that, but on the good side, it looked it looked like one piece of metal. Right. It was really trippy. It is. It's cool. And <laughs> and to be able to yeah. say I did that, you know. Exactly. Uh, I was telling everybody who would listen. Yeah. Honest to God, I was like a kid. Look what I did! Woohoo! Well, it's still in your pocket, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I probably you know. God damn it. <laughs> well, and, and that's cool. And and I think we like to to be able to do that and get that super high level of satisfaction to say, you know, this is what I did. And, and we mm-hmm. certainly do a lot of butt welding and, and finish grinding. And in fact, when we do a, a patch panel on a car or something, we'll actually do both sides. We'll, we'll grind the other side and dress it as well. So that oh, right from either side, you can't tell anything ever happened. And, cool. and we might use a TIG welder instead because it's a different heat characteristic and a, a slightly, mm-hmm. it's less, it's less additive, meaning it's not constantly feeding that wire in there. So you can, you can just use heat to melt the two existing pieces together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that becomes a naturally slightly thinner joint and okay. less heat affected area and less cleanup. Okay. Um, but, you know, if we can avoid it, we would rather do the, do the entire panel. And people say, well, you know, 
it's it's 89 bucks for a patch panel that goes over the wheel lip of my you know my camaro or it's four hundred dollars for the whole quarter Mm-hmm. But if they go through it, yeah, that four hundred bucks is worth it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. I mean, and, but if a shop is doing it too, I mean, you're gonna probably save a lot of labor putting the whole quarter in versus like a whole lower quarter just just in welding time alone, correct? And dressing dress up time and all that. So you know, it's give and take, but you know. My personal preference, I'd rather have one solid, good piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's less risk, of course. Totally. Um, I think also uh, when you do an individual, and, and we've done them, like I said, both ways a million different times, and, and we try to assess if this car, we try to keep as much of the original steel there as possible mm-hmm. uh, just to keep that, you know, that soul of the car here. Right, uh, but you know you got to consider the budget and and all that extra grind time and weld time and mm-hmm. fitting time and cutting time, and then when you're right. done, well, that was just one piece. Maybe you got three more to do on that same panel. Mm-hmm. You know, Oof. so Oof. you know what, what's the best way to do it? But right, and, and, you know, I, I, every car is probably different. I mean, if it was like uh, you know the super valuable one of one car mm-hmm. that you, that you'd want to keep as much sheet metal as possible on original sheet metal you'd probably go the patch route and just suck up suck it up doing that the kind of time and and that extra work that, that or you, you would to find do, just to say you know try and find an nos panel uh oh that too you know true, an, true, an original true. repair panel or you would get a, a real solid cutoff of another car Mm-hmm. And and that's sometimes a really good way to go because a, a reputable uh, uh, yard will will cut a panel off six inches away from the original seams. Uh-huh. So when you get it, you can drill out the original seam area and make it nice and clean and sure do it that way. That's cool. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah, cool. It is pretty cool. Uh, but you know, to me the ability to fuse metal together really changed my life because we've only been talking about it in the the body shop type sense. But now you look around and you look at weld beads of stuff and now you get a little bit of a sense on how they did that, you know, like on a a roll cage or you were looking at some of the jig fixtures in our shop and it's like, oh, now I understand, you know, what it might take to have that steady hand and, and to be able to see what you're working on is hard. Even if you've got a good auto darkening welding helmet, it, it takes, right. you know, good vision. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Even just on that small little piece I was doing, I found, I found myself flipping up the, the helmet just to make sure I, I could see what I'm doing. And you flip it back down and okay, here we go. Yep. And, um, you know, it, I, I like that auto darkening helmet too. That was, Oh yeah. That was pretty slick. Yeah. That's definitely the you way know, to go. Being able to see, with that with that arc going, I didn't know what to expect, what kind of what kind of vision I would have mm. through it. But it was neat. You could actually see the the weld laying down and it wasn't you know, it wasn't too bright, it wasn't too dark. Mm. You could see what you're doing and you could and by golly I could see right when I blew through that metal the one time <laughs> yeah. too. That first weld. I'm like, Holy cow, I blew right through that. Yeah, look what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, look at me, Ma. Yeah. Well, and and of everything, I think we spent the least amount of time dialing in those helmets. Uh, because we tend right. to just say, well, this is set for somebody and it's safe. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, in your own welding adventure, I think it's important to spend some time. And because most of them have variable shades 
and a, oh, and a variable okay. sensitivity. So oh. it might take, you know, more of an arc to darken. To hit it. Okay, gotcha. and, and the reason why they do that is generally to make them um, uh, able to be used in bright sunlight. Okay. Because if you're welding outside, you don't want your oh. lens darkening from the sun. So they sure. reduce the sensitivity, you know, so you can see it. Uh, okay. Uh, and then, of course, the, the fumes that are let off by, by MIG welding, you don't really want to consume. So that's why you use a, a full-face helmet to kind of let mm. the smoke go around. Sure. Uh, but, yeah, you know, now, now, now you can do anything. You can make anything. That's right, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start a roll cage tomorrow. Yeah, right, right. Well, and so what, what I like to tell people that are, are new to this is try it, get a little bit of a handle on it, and then now, now go check out YouTube and, and go look at other people's cars and, and see what some of the real hot shots are doing and see, yeah. you know, you'll see right away if somebody maybe didn't know what they were doing or don't have a whole lot of experience on sure. it. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and we were just talking about this in the shop yesterday, as a matter of fact, with John Moss, who's our uh, fabricator that's resident building the... Resident genius. Well, we have a lot of resident <laughs> geniuses. That's a good thing. You know, you, uh-huh. Everybody has so much to offer in the shop. It really blows my mind. Uh, John's up to his eyeballs on this Mustang project, though, right now. But mm-hmm. anyway, he and I were talking yesterday, and he is always checking out other people's work um, and trying to learn tips and tricks because uh, you can never stop learning this stuff no matter how good you are. And he's been right. trained by, I mean, his background's extensive in racing and, and uh, you know, training and everything else. But what we're noticing is that, okay, so the piece that you and Paul made was essentially, I don't know, all said and done, three or four inches long, about an inch and a half yeah. wide with a split right down sure. the middle. So it was mm-hmm. containable, you know, and yeah. doable. And we're seeing a lot of uh, Instagram heroes, uh, <laughs> people that are posting welds and, and little fabrication things online. And you can really separate those who can do it versus those who really can do it. Uh, mm. Because, as we demonstrated, your very first time with a welder, you made an undetectable repair. Are you going to be able to do that kind of work underneath a dashboard, upside down, in a rusty car, making something that never existed before? I mean, that that's the next level of... Let me answer that question, Kevin. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm sure someday you could, you know, but maybe. But yeah, it's it's right. interesting to me, and we call them, you know, basically welding selfies. You know, where where you always see the people with the selfie where they're in the exact light with the right facial expression, and the camera's held in that certain spot, you know, to get right. that perfect picture of them. But the rest uh-huh. of the time, they look like you know Oscar the Grouch. <laughs> So, <laughs> a lot of times you see people online that post this beautiful MIG weld or, you know, this TIG mm-hmm. weld with a rainbow colored stack of dimes and everything else. Yeah. And, and, and the interesting thing is because this equipment is becoming cheaper and cheaper, more mm. people have access to it, which is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but it also means that maybe people that don't necessarily have the full skill set are able to make a few things in their garage and sure. think they're fully qualified Ready. to build cars, yeah. you know? Right. And, and I only say that because I'm, I'm in no way discouraging people from trying it, doing it, and learning it. But we see a lot of things that come into our shop where the customer is like, I don't know what somebody did on this car, but it ain't right, you know? Uh-huh. 
So, sure. you know, like Michael Jordan said, it all comes down to the fundamentals. You know, if you can, if you can practice and, and get that concept down first, and then the technique follows, and then you can apply it to other challenges, other shapes, other situations, you know, that's oh. how you get good as opposed to just saying, well, on my bench with this giant heat sink table and this, you know, piece, and, you know, I, I was able to make this perfect weld, I'm going to build mm -hmm. your roll cage. And, and when you said <laughs> I'm going to build a roll cage, that's what tipped me off because there are, there are very strict, you know, NHRA and SEC oh, right. requirements around roll cages sure. and, and a, a proper cage has to get certified and sonic checked right. and measured for sure. thickness and stuff. And mm -hmm. if you ever see grinding on a roll cage, it's not going to pass. Oh boy. Because, really? Oh yeah. Cause you can't, who, what's in there? You can't hide. Oh yeah. The welds have to be all raw, right? They all yeah, have to be visible untouched. Yeah. Uh, you, you'll never see okay. body filler or, or, um, custom paint or anything. Generally it's gray or it's bare. Bear steel's the uh -huh. best. That's the easiest way to get past uh, is with bear okay. steel so that uh, the inspector can see it all. So they're looking mm -hmm. for porosity, and the porosity comes in, as we were talking uh, about before, sure. in, in our natural ambient atmosphere. There's so much oxygen mm -hmm. and fast-burning accelerants that that weld uh, arc actually, what I like to say, it, it's like boiling the metal, and then mm -hmm. it cools instantly, but there's still bubbles trapped in it. So if you right. cut it in half, it looks like a, you know, what was the candy it's like bar? Like Swiss cheese. Yeah, like Swiss cheese. There were there yeah. used to be a chocolate bar. You crack it in half and it's full of bubbles. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking what the about. The heck was that? But you don't want your weld looking like that because imagine for every bubble that's taking away the surface area of the weld and the strength of that weld. Right. And the proper up. the proper shielding gas is what makes that a solid bead instead of this thing full of holes, and that comes from understanding the concept and, and having decent equipment and knowing how to do it. And, you know, you see on Craigslist, people are selling cars and it's, you know, a, there's almost, you know, we're almost envisioning the same thing, a Fox body Mustang, you know, with big <laughs> tires on the back and no engine. And the, the fenders are three different colors and it's a race car and it's got a, a four right. point cage welded and that's all spray painted black with grinder marks all over it. Yeah. Don't race that car. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe a naturally aspirated four-cylinder engine you could you could put in there and race it well a nice 17 second car I, I can't tell you how many hundreds of these things i've seen uh because somebody just gave it a whirl sure i can do that you know and, and again uh -huh. i i want to encourage that and that's great but when it comes right. to safety it, it's not so cool so right uh the tip there is if you're gonna when when you go to buy your race car or, uh, <laughs> or go to have that cage put in your GTO, um, it'll get certified and there'll be a sticker or a stamp on it with a date and uh -huh. a certification. And okay. that's how you know that it passed and that it's safe to trust your life with it, you know, 150 miles sure. an hour. 150, that'd be nice. Get your get your brick GTO doing 150? Yeah. That's right. Wouldn't that be sweet? Yeah, yeah. Now, on the flip side, uh. this weekend I plan on making myself a shelf for my garage for a, 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 an old piece of stereo equipment that I'm going to hang on the wall. Right and on. And it doesn't need to be certified, you know, by the nope. NHRA, but it will mm -hmm. not be porous and I will not burn through and it ain't going to drop my cool. piece of vintage gear. No. Because that would suck. Got, that has to be protected. That's right. <laughs> there are some things that are just too important to trust a bad welding. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yourself, yourself, and your family are high on that list, but the vintage, yes, vintage gear. Yes, for sure. Yeah. But hey, vintage stereo equipment doesn't come around all the time. Right, right.
Well, you got to make the garage a nice place to be. You do. You totally do. I I need to do that to my garage sorely. That whole place needs to be revamped. So that's one of the things that's been kicking around in my head for a while. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's always good to have additional projects on the horizon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I figure by the time I'm 65, I might be able to get around to it. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, you know, it's a, it's a, it, it's kind of a catch-22 thing in a way because it's like. I really want to go in my garage, so to have one is great to start with, and I'm thankful for that. Yeah, right. And then it's right. well, I got to get some tools to work on the car, so then you, you got to get the tools. And, well, you know what? I need a bench, so then you got the bench, and then it's like, well, mm-hmm. maybe I need some tunes, so then you work on that. You still haven't touched the car yet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. And then I need a <laughs> fridge, and then of course I got my poster, and you know. Yeah. You got to build the foundation, man. Yeah. The foundation comes first. Yeah. Next thing you know, on your eighty-first birthday, it's like, yeah. okay, we're set. <laughs> now I can start to work on the car. Exactly. Exactly. Although there are many people who, uh, you know, my hats off to these guys who are on a dirt floor with a basic set of hand tools and they're building stuff that you, you'd never even imagine. You know, just oh yeah, tremendous well, quality. I mean, and... Well, even in my younger days when I was, you know, living on my own when I first moved out here. Uh, living in, in, a, in an apartment and didn't have a garage and I had to work on my car I had to drag everything out there to the parking lot mm-hmm. and work on it and hope it didn't rain and hope it didn't get too cold and you know you gotta do what you can with what you got that's it so mm-hmm. so yeah I am I am I thank my lucky stars every day that I have a garage that I can I can do this stuff in it's 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 huge yeah your so. garage isn't necessarily huge, but the concept is. <laughs> right, exactly. The garage, yeah. yeah. So, exactly, exactly. The, the concept is great. Yes. Well, um, our time is flying. I do want to throw a little shout-out. Yeah. We had a couple of, uh, of very positive reviews on iTunes about this little show. We did indeed. Yes. And, and we thank you nice people for that. Yes, we, we always have a tremendous amount of listener appreciation, and now it's getting challenging. No more that There's more than one listener. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of people to thank now. Yeah. <laughs> but it's good to hear that, you know, the reviews weren't these guys suck, and it's a total waste of time, and <laughs> don't bother. Right, so, right. Uh, just want to say we appreciate it because uh, – you know, as you've gathered, a lot of this is Mike and I just kind of catching up and talking to each other, and the listener gets mm-hmm. to go along for the ride, but we try to be accommodating. So if you have kind words or other words, you're more than welcome to share them, but uh, we appreciate the kind ones. <laughs> yes, indeed. Indeed. Yeah. All right. Well, time flies by. What, uh, we should probably unveil these uh, trivia question answers. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. All right, Kevin, I asked you. When and where was the first drive-in uh, opened? Yes, right. And, and I believe I said it was in 1927 in Kansas City, and I know that's correct. No, Kansas City, Kansas, no less. Right. Cor- correct. Correct is, and that's what I said. Not not correct. Yes. That I'm right. Correct is that is what, <laughs> that is what you said. Because I almost. You know, wet my pants there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> what a guess. Um. But unfortunately, the answer is 1933 mm. in Camden, New Jersey. There you go. See? Now it all comes back to me. Right, right. Yeah. 
when whenever you tell me my wrong answer, it all comes back to me as well. Not unlike this one. Yeah, but I did look this up before, so it does come back. Yeah. I I debated on whether I was going to ask this. I'm thinking, there's no way he's not going to know this. (laughs) (laughs) See, that tells you the... uh... The broad spectrum of my ignorance is confounding. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot. It's confusional. I, it's right. A lot I don't know. All right. Well, my question to you was, why was the 426 Hemi Chrysler V8 426 cubic inches? Mm-hmm. And your answer was something to do with an NHRA rule making that engine legal for racing based on a 427 mm-hmm. cubic inch displacement limit. Mm-hmm. And I will say that you are incorrect. No! Because the correct answer is that there was a 427 cubic inch displacement limit established by NHRA, AHRA, and NASCAR. Oh, <laughs> man. So you are correct. Boom! Look at me. How about Winner, that? winner. I am really... Uh, I, I wasn't expecting that you'd get that one so readily. Oh, man. I, I felt really good about this one, Obvious. I gotta say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and so. the, the funny thing was is I did not prepare properly for the show because... Oh, really? As you know, I was too busy eating a pizza uh-huh. <laughs> right before our start time. <laughs> Which kept getting pushed back because I was waiting for the the damn pizza guy. (laughs) That's only funny because it's true. Uh, So as I'm getting ready to do this, uh, I'm thinking, oh, man, I got to do a trivia question here. So I Mm -hmm. I grabbed um, a little, it's a little magazine, a little, you know, little pages, you know, from 1963. And it's called How to Hop Up Your Engine. Oh, and, nice. and when you open the first page, it's got a story about the recent 427 cubic inch displacement limit established by NHRA, AHRA, and NASCAR is affecting Detroit noticeably already. And they talk about the new 426 Hemi. Ah. And I went, I bet Mike doesn't know that. And sure, as ah! <laughs> you got it. <laughs> yes. So, yes. Well played. There's. I'm like two and fifty. Yeah. Well, I mean, there. It's not like this was a recent thing on Facebook or right. whatever. Right. I mean, this True. is printed in '63. You know, mm-hmm. last copy mm-hmm. here in my garage. So mm-hmm. impressive. Mm-hmm. Congratulations on that. Thank very, you. Thank you very much. Well Appreciate that. Bang bang. Bang bang. Bang bang. All right. Well, listen. If I. Uh, uh, I need to get a couple of, I'm going to ask this. Do you still have your welding sample? I do. <laughs> on, yes, I do. Is it on the fridge? <laughs> it is, as a matter of fact. <laughs> uh, send me a couple snapshots of that, and uh, we'll try okay. and put pictures up in the uh, the story article uh, for this broadcast. I, I sent you some snapshots. You did, correct. And yeah. videos. i got to check that out. Too. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I can get some for that. Yes, you did send yeah. me snapshots. And you even wrote on there, first weld. First weld. Yeah, yeah. What, March 24th, there you go. 2018, VATV. Um, I will share those as well. And you'll be able to see that on the V8, TV, or the V8 Radio uh, website article. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, if you're listening on iTunes, we put images on the website that iTunes doesn't pick up. So they don't, they don't get a chance to see those. Um, oh, I got Or with Google Play or Stitcher or mm-hmm. um, tune the in. iTunes. Yeah, the TuneIn Radio deal. 
mm-hmm. or on the Facebook page, but you're more than welcome to listen to all those. And uh, I've noticed thing that, that we're kind of springing up and down a little bit in the popularity oh boy. on iTunes. Uh, we were we were about we can't fall off. No, we haven't fallen off. We, we were about eighteen from the last, and then we went up to about twenty five from the from the the end. And Ooh. and I think whenever an episode uh, hits, we'll we'll rock it ahead. I see. And then I see other ones come out, and they'll push us down. So we uh, we well, appreciate we everybody it. listening. To you know, we're still gunning for uh, for car talk. And, car uh, talk. <laughs> and Adam Coming Carolla. to get you Corolla. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get them. Uh, but we invite you to subscribe and listen uh, at, at any of those outlets, uh, and, and we appreciate you spending the time. So that's about all I got, my friend. Likewise. All right. Well, listen, it's been fun as always, and uh, mm-hmm. keep it under 100. And we will talk at you next time on VA Radio.